Good afternoon. Welcome to the Eco News Report. I'm your host this week, Annie Maher, Programs Coordinator at the North Coast Environmental Center. The Eco News Report is an exclusive feature of KHSU, brought to you by the North Coast Environmental Center, publisher of our regional environmental newspaper, Eco News. Don't forget you can find this show and other KHSU public affairs shows on the RDO Archives page at khsu.org. Today my guest is Dave Muir, Community Liaison for the Klamath River Renewal Corporation, here to discuss the Klamath Dams, their history, current status, and more. So thank you for being on the Eco News Report today. Thanks so much for having me. So many of our listeners have probably heard about some of the history of the Klamath Dams. Their removal has been pushed by environmental groups and many others for years. And in 2016, the Klamath River Renewal Corporation, KRRC, was tasked with the dam removal and restoration on the Klamath River. When completed, the removal of the Klamath Dams will be the biggest dam removal project in history. I won't say too much more and allow Dave the opportunity to tell us more about the history and current project. So why don't you start out telling us a bit about what the Klamath River Renewal Corporation is? Very good. Happy to do so. Yeah, so I'm going to just call it KRRC for short. But the KRRC is an independent nonprofit. We were formed in 2016 as part of the amended Klamath Hydroelectric Settlement Agreement. And we are the dam removal entity. The signatories to the amended KHSA, that included the state of California, state of Oregon, some local governments. We had tribal nations, the owner of the dams, Pacific Corps, some irrigators, a lot of conservation and fishing groups. Those 20-some-odd folks got together. And in this amended agreement, they appointed KRRC to take ownership of, of the dams for the specific purpose of demolishing them and then restoring that river footprint, the formerly inundated lands, to a more natural river habitat, and that's what we're about to do. And by KHSA, you mean the Klamath Hydroelectric Settlement Agreement? Right. Okay. Yeah. You asked about the history. Some folks won't know, but Pacific Corps was going to relicense the facilities, and as they moved through the process of relicensing, early 2000s, they were receiving a lot of pushback from folks who were pointing out that there were some severe water quality and impacts on fisheries. And through a long and protracted negotiation, Pacific Corps ultimately came to see dam removal as being in the best interest of both the ratepayers and the shareholders. So they agreed to dam removal. That didn't take long to say, but it was really difficult <laughs> for them to get there. And so simultaneously, there was a, uh, a side agreement with tribes, the environmental community, irrigators, and, and fishing interests and others to put together kind of a comprehensive package to address some of the chronic battles, fights, lawsuits, water wars that had been plaguing the Klamath Basin for a long time. Those two agreements were joined at the hip, and they required uh, congressional action in order to be implemented. And Congress declined. I was working for a member of Congress who represented part of the Klamath Basin at the time. And I saw this play out. I grit my teeth and thought, we're heading for another water war. Internally, within our office, I had been the staff person saying, this is probably the best deal that could be put together to address a wide variety of, of issues and, and probably bring some peace and prosperity to the basin. I didn't prevail, and so I left the Congress when my boss retired, and I was on kind of on the sidelines waiting to see the train wreck happen, and all of a sudden in 2016, everybody surprised us with dusting off the agreement, amending it, and moving forward, and here we are today with 
a new organization tasked with the responsibility of removing the dams, funded, staffed up, ready to go, with the full support of those 20-plus signatories, and now we are just awaiting approval from the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Let me pause and say, actually, we're not awaiting their approval. We still have to get some information to them so that they can make a decision on whether to approve this plan. How did this whole conversation about dam removal on the Klamath begin? I'm going to go back and make it a little bit personal. I was working for a member of Congress who represented the Siskiyou County area back in 2001 when, because of an ESA-related issue, the federal government required that all the water to the irrigators be turned off. So the on-project irrigators, the folks who got water from the Bureau of Reclamation, were simply told, "You're, you're not going to plant this year. You don't have water. And you know, imagine, put yourself in the position of someone who was just told you don't get to have an income for a year and you've already incurred a lot of expenses with the anticipation. So obviously it was super volatile. I I was at a lot of public meetings. I saw a lot of protests. I saw congressional hearings. I saw huge community anxiety, conflict, bad feeling. It was horrible. The Bush administration eventually, you know, working throughout that year, had the water turned on the following year so that people could plant. And we experienced a massive fish kill in the Klamath, where in the neighborhood of 70,000 salmon who had not had the opportunity to spawn went belly up. We had disease in the water. Temperatures were wrong. Everything that could go wrong for salmon that year went wrong. And that was a devastating blow. That was in 2002. So back-to-back crises. One one year it's a crisis for the farmers. The next year it's a the, the fishery takes an absolute hit, which was devastating to the tribes, horrendous for the the commercial and sport fishing industry. Anyone who's concerned about fish and the environment, it was horrible. And out of that carnage and chaos, a remarkable thing happened where parties that had been in court and at each other's throat, fighting over water for a long time started talking to each other about doing something different. And they met in secret. They were reaching out tentatively, cautiously. It was a slow process. I was not in on that. I didn't, we, we didn't know what was happening. But at, at some point down the road, when the various parties, again, tribes, environmental community, uh, fishing interests and, and irrigators and other stakeholders, when they got to a point where they thought, they had a broad framework of an agreement. They started inviting some legislative staff to come in and just listen and observe. And I was one of those folks who was fortunate enough to to attend a meeting where peace was breaking out. And people who were in the room that normally you would not think would be in the same room unless a bailiff was involved because of the, just the history of, of, of feuding. And I remember a remarkable man, a Yurok man named Troy Fletcher, walked up to me, pulled me aside, and said, I am tired of other people making money off of our fights, and we're going to do something different. And they did. And so, again, they, that part of the broad agreement that was put together was the tribal interests particularly, but also the environmental community, made it clear that the dams were imperiling fish, they were polluting the river, and it was a non-negotiable that those had to go. The farmers used to get very inexpensive power that they really needed to make their operation. And in the basin, you really need a low-cost power in order to make farming economic. 
but the tribes asked a very important question to the farm community. Do you need those specific dams for your power, or just do you just need cheap power from somewhere? And the answer, obviously, was if we can get cheap power from somewhere, we really don't care where we get it. So they struck a deal to try to pursue inexpensive power, keep the farm community whole. It morphed also into a water-sharing agreement, uh, a different way to to mediate a, a problem outside of litigation. There was a host of things to make more people whole. So again, the farm community agreed to dam removal as part of this grand bargain. They took a lot of heat. It is still controversial today. It is still being quite resisted today. But that's that's where this idea started and where the agreement started was with the, the folks who were most impacted by disasters from year to year talking to one another and cutting a deal. And that's what led to the initial agreement. That's what led to the initial agreement. And then when, when the agreements expired, because Congress did not act, the agreements expired at the end of 2015, I was actually braced for another water war. I, I didn't see a way out. And I was just, it actually made me sick to my stomach to, to think about it. I saw a headline that indicated we were probably heading toward another water war. But unbeknownst to me, the, the parties to the original KHSA and, and some others had continued to meet and found a way forward that didn't require Congress. And so California and Oregon and Pacific Corps and a bunch of signatories, again, found a way to move forward. One of the critical components for Pacific Corps was they needed to be able to hand their dams off to a third party. They, they now viewed those dams not as an asset but as a liability because if they would have tried to relicense them, the costs of bringing those old dams, one of them is you know basically a century old, the cost of bringing those up to current standards and putting in fish passage and trying to address water quality, you're probably looking at even $450 million to start, and the cost would have gone up from there. And frankly, I don't think they would have been able to get a clean water permit from the state of California just based on how impaired the water is. So when they ran the numbers, they saw this as no longer an economic project. So the deal that they negotiated was instead of starting at 450 and, and going up from there, and I, I could see it easily have easily going up a few hundred million dollars more than that, Pacific Corps fashioned an agreement that they would cap their costs at $200 million. Basically, if they wrote a check for $200 million, they could hand that money to someone else to take care of the problem, and they could walk away. That was very important to them. That was agreed to by California and Oregon and the other signatories. And so that is what is happening. Pacific Corps has been charging a surcharge for dam removal that's with the permission of the Public Utilities Commission in both Oregon and California. They've been collecting that ratepayer surcharge for the purpose of dam removal. And then California, the legislature a couple of years ago, authorized using up to $250 million out of Proposition 1, the water bond, also for dam removal. So the, the net total available for this project is $450 million. That appears to exceed what is going to be necessary for the project. So it looks like the funding is in place, the expertise is in place, and so the, the project is, it looks like it's moving forward at this time. And now it's in the hands of KRRC. It's 
in the hands of KRRC, and we're the ones who are petitioning. Well, we're jointly currently. Here's what's happening right now. There's a two-step process going on before the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, and that is the federal entity that deals with private hydropower facilities. They don't have jurisdiction, for example, over Shasta Dam, which is a Bureau of Reclamation, a federal facility. But if it's private, and this one is private, then FERC is the 900-pound gorilla, and they have to approve two things. There are two applications that are going to be, that are pending before FERC. The first is called a transfer application, which simply seeks permission from FERC to transfer the license for the current four facilities, four hydropower facilities on the Klamath, transfer those license to KRRC. So we have to prove that we are qualified to accept the license, that we have the funding, that we have the skill set, that we have the ability to accept that license and, and, and meet the terms and conditions that are currently in place. The next thing is a, it's called a surrender application, which is telling FERC we want to surrender the facility, we want to surrender the license to operate it, we want, and we intend to demolish the dams and restore the river to you know a free-flowing condition and you know remove the remove the facilities that are current, currently on the river so that those applications are filed with FERC i was at some meetings last week where FERC staff came out to meet with tribes five tribes in northern california and southern oregon and FERC said at each of the meetings I attended, I attended four out of the five, they said, we have all the information we need at the moment to make a decision on the transfer. We don't need any further studies. We don't need environmental documentation. We have what we need, but we do need to check with the tribes. We're not going to make a decision prior to hearing from the tribes. And so they, they did go through that process of tribal consultation. And so they can make a decision. Nothing is stopping them. And then the second question, though, does require some, some further information that FERC must have before it. For example, we need a clean water certification. It's called a 401 permit from the state of California. The water board is reviewing that, and we're anticipating that hopefully by spring we will have that completed from California. Then there are some additional information requests that we've got to get to FERC, but the goal is to have all of this information to them so that FERC can make a decision in time for KARC to actually be in the water and starting deconstruction as soon as 2020. That is right around the corner. That is, that is pretty ambitious, and that is not a locked-in date. That's not a guarantee, but it's as soon as 2020, you know, and so that nothing is, is in concrete and I, I'm being aware of large, huge projects. <laughs> I've seen a lot of slippage before, so you know it's not going to be shocking to me, frankly, if, if some slippage occurs. But right now, the goal is to scramble to get to get permits in hand and be able to start work in 2020. Yeah, so the permitting process is rolling right along, and that after that's all complete, you can actually be in the water. You said. Yeah, for, for once once FERC tells us we you know we approve this. Then, then we proceed. But FERC, FERC is really the last gate to go through. And again, if you look at the signatories, 
it's a long and impressive list. So again, you've got the owner, Pacific Corps, you've got Humboldt County, the Kruk and Yurok tribes, California and Oregon. You've got the Federal Department of Interior and the Department of Commerce on board. You've got American Rivers, California Trout, Northern California Council of Fly Fishers International, Salmon River Restoration Council, Sustainable Northwest, Trout Unlimited. It, it goes on. And, and of course, KRC is also a signatory. If you're just tuning in, this is the Eco News Report. We're talking to Dave Muir, Community Liaison for the Klamath River Renewal Corporation, about the Klamath Dam removals. So why don't you tell me really quick, I can't remember, there's four dams under your jurisdiction now, correct? Which uh, yes, they would, well, they're not under our jurisdiction yet, but we hope to have them under our jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So that would be J.C. Boyle, Copco 1, Copco 2, and Iron Gate Dams. So three of those are in California, one in Oregon, And those four facilities, here's what they do. They produce hydropower. Here's what they do not do. And there's a lot of misunderstanding on this, and I'd really like to clarify it. They do not store any water that's used for agricultural or municipal purposes. So the farmers, I keep hearing concern that people think the farmers are going to lose their ag water because of this. Those dams simply spin turbines. They're not gargantuan reservoirs. They spin turbines. They create electricity. That water is not used for another purpose. No one's water right is going to be affected by this. People are concerned about flooding, and and extensive flood mapping has been underway, and the indication is that we're going to see, you know, like six inches to a foot and a half of, of, you know, higher water levels during events. And, and, the, and the structures that are impacted, obviously, FERC will require us, and we would want to move those, flood-proof those, take care of that issue. There are some real issues that have not been fully fleshed out yet about, you know, Highway 96, for example, that it can be subject, it's already subject to, to being underwater periodically, and this could contribute a bit more to that. Obviously, FERC is going to look at that and make a determination about what, if anything, needs to be done in, in that regard. FERC is going to require, you know, replacement of some recreation facilities, that type of thing. And the public can definitely weigh into FERC about what they want to see. And some requests will probably be granted. Others will be beyond the scope of FERC's authority, and they won't. But again, getting back to the dams, they create hydropower, but they also create toxic algae blooms behind some of the reservoirs. We have nutrient-rich water that flows in, warms up, and this blue-green toxic algae forms, and it pollutes the river. It's bad for humans. It's bad for fish. We have fish diseases. Sea Shasta is a, is a chronic ongoing disease issue that we have in, in the river. And dam removal is intended to not only open up habitat, about 400 miles of historic habitat that is currently blocked by the dams, but also deal with eliminating that that ongoing toxic algae bloom that happens, you know, seasonally and probably reduce some other disease and, and parasite issues that we have in the Klamath River. It is not a complete solution to water quality. A lot more will have to happen in the way of restoration, restoring some marsh type areas and, and you know, river habitat that has been lost over the years. But a lot of restoration projects are already underway. A significant amount is already happening. So even though dam removal in and of itself doesn't fully address the, the serious water quality issues of the Klamath, it's, it's a very necessary step in the right direction, and, and it's a first step.
Which leads me to my next question. I was going to ask about how dam removal is anticipated to impact salmon population in the Klamath or how it's currently impacting salmon populations on the Klamath. Yeah, and again, so we're we're gonna we're gonna open up 400 stream miles of historic spawning and rearing habitat. There's going to be access to habitat in some of the cold water tributaries. It's going to improve water quality, temperature definitely, pH dissolved oxygen, the toxic algae issue. It's going to just improve fish development conditions, reduce the disease impacts. So there are a host of things that are going to happen positively for both water quality and the fishery once the dams are removed. That's great. And you mentioned restoration as part of the project. So after the dams are removed, there's going to be a, a restoration project impl- implemented? Yeah, and let, me, and let me give you a caution on that. Let me first give you the, the, the news of what's going to occur. Within the footprint of the project, you know, where we formerly had inundated lands, that's going to be, you know, bare soil and silt. A, a, lot, of that, a lot of that sediment, there's about 15, 20 million cubic yards of, of sediment behind the dams. A lot of that, when the dams are, are breached or when, the, when, when a controlled flow happens, a lot of that sediment is going to move down the river and all the way to the ocean. Some of it is going to be left behind, and that's going to become, you know, new floodplain, new riverbank, and it's going to be probably hydro-seeded, revegetated with native plants, that type of thing. So a lot of restoration is going to happen within the footprint of the project. Because KRC is focused and funded only to deal with the dam removal portion and restoring that footprint, we don't have we can't take leftover money for example and go start re- restoring a bunch of land up in Oregon which frankly is is highly necessary and so my my caution is that the original the original two agreements the KBRA the Klamath Basin Restoration Agreement and the KHSA the Klamath Hydroelectric Settlement Agreement they were intended to move forward at the same time and complement one another and in the KBRA was a very significant anticipated federal commitment. We're talking like a couple hundred billion dollars for restoration. That is currently not authorized. That is currently not funded. That's currently not on the table. It's definitely on the radar screen for a lot of people and for policymakers, for members of Congress and and senators. But it, it is not happening right now. And I'm going to take off my KRC hat just for a moment and say that Something along those lines would have to happen if if this project is if the, if the river is really going to be restored and we're really going to get where we need to be for fisheries. It's just that KRC cannot do that, and we can't lobby. We're a five hundred one you know C three. We we have constraints about what we can do and how we can spend our money. But I do want to note that the Trump administration did dispatch uh, Alan Mickelson. He's a uh, deputy commissioner for the Bureau of Reclamation to come out here, and he's aware of the project. He's aware of the parts that are not complete, and he is trying to convene some of those parties who were originally at the table for the KBRA and start some discussions again about how we move forward. And when Mr. Mickelson came out, I was at a public meeting in Wairika when he addressed a group of folks, and I'm going to quote him as closely as I can, but he said essentially the Trump administration is not going to stand in the way of a private business decision, which is Pacific Corps deciding to decommission these dams. 
He also said the future is not going to look like the past. He also expressed a belief that this is going to move forward. And he also said that, again, the Trump administration is going to do nothing to slow or impede this project. So this this project has now been through – it's in its third presidential administration. This actually began under the Bush administration, and it continued under the Obama administration. It's now moving to the Trump administration because the underlying facts have not changed. And, and I think, you know, back in the Bush administration, they recognized that – this calamity, they didn't want to see us continue to lurch from calamity to calamity, having to do appropriations to take care of, you know, yet another horrible year for, for some entity. So this has been bipartisan, and it has survived a long and torturous route, and I think we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, here we are today. Yes. It's exciting. So we're running out of time, but I did want to ask this question before we wrapped up. This could be the largest dam removal in in U.S. history. What could that mean as far as setting a precedent for other communities? You know, every, every dam removal is, is different. There are always unique aspects to it. And, and this project is unique because it's the owner of the facilities. You know, it's a private utility, Pacific Corps is supporting this. This is not happening over their objections. They support this under the terms of the KHSA because they've looked at the numbers and it's it just makes sense economically and reduces uncertainty over, over litigation. So I, I'm not sure that you can really extrapolate because each each condition is going to be different. But, but that said, it, it, it is a historic project and we're making efforts to partner with, you know, scientists and ensure that this project you know, contributes to the body of knowledge and, and academic field of, of dam removal. So I'm, I'm certain that there will be lessons learned from it. Absolutely. So where can people comment or go to learn more about this project or how can they get involved in this project? Yes, you can follow our activities, join our newsletter mailing list, and you can sign up on our homepage, which is klamathrenewal.org. And you can also find us on Facebook. We'll post about upcoming events, open house meetings, and that type of thing. And we'll continue to have public meetings in 2018 to keep you know local communities informed about you know progress. And and we'll also be doing outreach regarding job possibilities, everything from security to food services to you know technical technical folks, heavy uh, equipment movers, you know water tenders. There will be a lot of different opportunities to participate and make a living here for a few years off this job. Yeah, and you will be able to see public meeting notifications and other things on the NEC's website as well, so everyone stay tuned. So thank you for for joining us today. That was very informative. We got a really good rundown of Klamath Dam removal history. Thank you for the opportunity, Annie. You have a good day, okay? Thank you. This has been the Econews Report. My name is Annie Maher with the North Coast Environmental Center, and I've been your host for the past half hour. My guest today was Dave Muir, community liaison for the Klamath River Renewal Corporation. You can find more information at KRRC's website at klamathrenewal.org. If you'd like to replay this interview or share it with others, you can go to the public affairs page on the KHSU's website at khsu.org, where these programs are archived after they air. Previous shows are posted on the North Coast Environmental Center's website at urnec.org. If you have any questions or comments about this program, please call KHSU's listener comment line at 826-6089. The Econews Report is produced for KHSU, located at Humboldt State University in cooperation with the North Coast Environmental Center. Many thanks to Fred McLaughlin for engineering. Join us for the next Econews Report.